Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. any bigger Thank you. 
Hi, Dan. It's Howard David. Hey, Howard. How are you? Good. How is downtown Minneapolis? Uh, it's, uh, it's as beautiful as ever. <laughs> uh, where do you live? Uh, in Manhattan, on the Upper East Side. Oh, yeah? I used to live up there. What, what street? 82nd, uh, between uh, Park and Lex. Oh, I used to live on 69th, on third, right on 3rd Avenue. Okay. Before that, I was on 75th in New York for about 20 years, so... Right. I've been uh, I've been up there for a while. So right. 69th and Third, is that where uh, uh, Nell's Diner is, or whatever Nell's yes. Coffee Shop? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Stand by. We're getting ready to go. Okay. Got it. <clears throat> Hi, everybody. Welcome to Howard David Live. To take a bite of the Big Apple with Dan Martin of the New York Post covers the New York Yankees. A rare occurrence last night, Dan. The Yankees lost. <laughs> I mean, seven in a row. They had the toughest guy to score off of in Nestor Cortez. Uh, his ERA goes in one day, goes from 1.35 to 1.96. I wouldn't say this is time to panic, but it's interesting to note that, um, you know, his, his great pitching, uh, you know, it, it happens, right? Yeah, uh, that's kind of what he said after the game. You know, it's uh, it's not all going to be perfect. So he's had 11 starts and then one one bad one. So uh, he's been off to a fantastic start, just like the entire team. Uh, it's funny, you know, last night was, was one of the first, if not the, the first game that they really were not competitive in. Uh, you know, even the games that they've lost, there's only been 16. Uh, they've almost all been close, competitive, and uh, down to the wire. Just, you know, last night, for whatever reason, just one of those bad ones all the way around from, from uh you know, Cortez was good for the first three innings, uh, three perfect innings, and right. then things kind of went haywire there in the fourth. And uh, you know, they had some trouble on the uh, on the defense with Stanton in right field, and they certainly couldn't get anything going against Chris Ar- Chris Archer or the the Minnesota bullpen. So you know, it was funny. You just expect the Yankees to figure something out against the Twins, no matter what the situation. But uh, yeah, every once in a while, those things happen. Well, Cortez gave up more than three runs for the first time. In the last 19 starts, and that goes back to last year, uh, and before the game, I think Aaron Boone was touting Cortez as the starter for the All-Star game. I mean, that still may happen. You mentioned Stanton. Interesting to know. I mean, he's just come off uh, being injured, but, boy, he looked a little foolish playing right field last night, misplaying, um, uh, of all people, uh, Urshela's deep fly to right field. Uh, it was just interesting. It was off a former Yankees bat, but... Look, Stanton has had uh, his ups and downs. His hitting has been duly noted. He and Judge, when they combine for home runs in the same day, the Yankees just never lose. Yeah, I mean, they like Stanton in the outfield because it gives them some uh, flexibility. You know, it opens up that DH spot for guys like Donaldson who, who do DH last night or even Judge when he needs a day off his feet. Uh, but, yeah, the, the, that's the issue with putting Stanton out there too often. You know, he's, he's usually been pretty good you know nothing nothing to write home about but certainly serviceable and and given what he gives them uh, at the plate it's worth it but for whatever reason last night he just really looked uncomfortable in right field he, he admitted after the game it was the worst game defensively that he can remember uh you know he's very uncomfortable going after fly balls he said he misjudged where the wall was on a couple of occasions uh so who knows i mean maybe uh it's something about the ballpark uh, he said his ankle, which is what landed him on the uh, IL, was fine. So uh, the Yankees, they really want to keep him out there, at least on occasion. 
they've got some issues in the outfield. You know, Hicks has been been uh, bad, uh, although he's hitting a little bit better lately, and he made a great throw uh, last night from left field to get, uh, I think it was Urshela at the plate. And, um, you know, that's that's been something that hasn't been there for Hicks in a while. Uh, even just the defense has abandoned him. So that was a positive sign. And obviously Joey Gallo in the outfield has just been, you know, a nightmare at the plate and kind of defensively too. So what they've done is they've moved Gallo over to right field. He was off last night, uh, but he's definitely more comfortable in right, which uh, can be an issue because they like to have Stanton in right when he's out there. But they're trying to get something going with Gallo, and if they think he is a little bit more comfortable in right field, and maybe that relaxes him somewhat at the plate, and maybe gets him going, they'll they'll give that a shot because it's a it's desperate times for Gallo, who just has shown nothing really as a Yankee since last year. Yeah, he was taking a bite of the Big Apple with Dan Martin of the New York Post. The series resumes today with Garrett Cole going for the Yankees in his previous start, as you well know, against Detroit. He was perfect into the seventh inning in a 13 to nothing route. His past eight starts, Cole is five and one with a 2.03 earned run average and 69 strikeouts. Look, everybody, when you get that big contract, everybody always makes a point of including that in any statement. Oh, yeah, he's the guy with the $200 million contract or the $300 million contract. I don't know if it's fair or not fair. The fact of the matter is he's living up to the hype. Well, lately he is, you know, but it won't really won't, uh, won't matter until October, you right. know, no matter what he does during the regular season, uh, you know, he could even win a Cy Young this year, but all Yankee fans remember right now is him in Fenway, uh, last year in the wildcard game, you know, obviously part of that was due to the, the, the hamstring injury that he dealt with in the, the last month of the season. But, uh, you know, he pitched very poorly up there and, uh, you know, he, he, he needs that, uh, October moment or even an October run where he puts the, the pitching rotation, uh, the starting rotation on his back and leads the team, uh, if not uh, to a World Series, certainly to a long postseason run. Uh, he's, you know, he got off to that shaky start to the regular season. Everyone, including, you know, myself, contributed to the panic of, you know, what what is this guy now? Uh, you know, is he just a product of sticky stuff and is he going to get ever get back to the to the production that he showed in Houston and in Pittsburgh that that merited him that 324 million dollar contract uh and lately he has and it's uh you know the Yankees love to see it and uh you know he he could very well be in the all-star game himself with the way he's been pitching but ultimately uh what matters is what he does in September if they're in a division race with the Blue Jays or the Rays and then beyond that, what he does in the playoffs, uh, regardless of their opponent, because as he, as you know, you know, you, you, when you make that kind of contract that you referenced, uh, it's what happens in the playoffs that matters, and that's what fans will remember when they think of Garrett Cole uh, years down the road. They're not going to care about the thirteen to nothing wins over the Tigers in uh, May or June. It's what what does he do against the Red Sox in September and in the playoffs in uh, in October? Absolutely. Let's talk about the most celebrated Yankee right now, and that's Aaron Judge. Uh, he's hitting 311. he He's got 22 home runs, 45 RBI, and 46 runs scored to lead the American League. Uh, look, he's, and he's fielding his position. He's playing a solid center field. Uh, I mean, this, this guy is absolutely an MVP candidate, right? Uh, right now, I think, you know, 
I think he is the MVP. Um, you know, Trout's hurt, and uh, you know, well, the Angels are just a, a mess right now. So, I, I mean, Aaron Judge has done everything that the Yankees could have expected and that he could have expected when he made that decision in the offseason to turn down the $213 million extension that the Yankees offered him. Um, so he's got a lot of reasons to uh, to play this way. Uh, first, because uh, you know he really does take his job seriously and uh, wants to win and wants to win in New York. And then, you know, he's obviously, you know, if he stays healthy and keeps up any kind of this pace at all for the rest of the season, uh, who knows what, what kind of contract he's going to get at the end of the year. Uh, we were just talking about Cole's contract. Uh, you know, that's that's kind of in the neighborhood, at least, of what Judge is looking for. And if he, if he continues going at the way he's going right now, uh, you know, it's hard to see that he doesn't get something like that. I mean, the market will be what it is, and you don't know what he's going to get offered until it happens. Uh, and the, the questions will be there. You know, he's going to be older for a free agent if it comes to that at the Yankees and, and he don't come to an agreement before then. Uh, and he has had some injury issues in the past. But my goodness, you know, he's uh, he, healthy as can be. Uh, like you said, he's playing a solid center field, which, you know, frankly makes him more valuable than a, in right field. And, uh, you know, just, just unstoppable at the plate in a season in which home runs have been hard to come by throughout the league and offense has been down. He's just laughed at all that and uh, and really uh, at times put the, the Yankees on his back because, you know, the offense has not always uh, produced. We just talked about all the other guys uh, in the lineup that have struggled. And uh, there are times when he's he's basically the only guy producing. And here they are with the best record in baseball. So, uh, you know, for, for a guy who's headed potentially toward free agency, it is a well-timed uh, career year. And he's, you know, he's doing things that we thought he would do after he came up in 2017 and, and set the world on fire, but hadn't gotten back to because of injuries. Uh, and now, you know, he's in his prime. He's healthy. He's got protection in the lineup with Rizzo and Stanton uh, and just making the most of it. Talking with uh, Dan Martin of the New York Post, Yankees come home after the game with Minnesota to a three-game series against the Cubs who are struggling. But after that, you want to talk about uh, crawling on your knees through a minefield. After that, the schedule is daunting, and I'm being kind. 13 straight games against division foes Tampa Bay and Toronto, and four with Houston, which, who's, by the way, has got the second-best record in the American League. That, I mean, I, I realize it's only June, but that is a tough schedule. Yeah, I mean... They, they've been able to take advantage of the other part of that. Like you said, the Twins here, the Tigers over the weekend, the Cubs are coming up. Uh, so they've done what they're supposed to do against those teams. And now they, they've got a, a stiffer test. You know, they, they, they split a series in Tampa uh, last month, winning the first two and then dropping the, the second two. Uh, Toronto got off to kind of a slow start. They're coming. There's both teams in the AL East are seven games behind behind the Yankees. Uh, so for all their greatness, uh, the, the great start that they've got, gotten off to here, you know, they it's a healthy lead, seven games. But with that stretch coming up uh, against both the Rays and the Jays, you know, that's the seven games could either really grow or get a lot tighter. So they can really uh, put a dent into the AL East if they 
continue to play the way they are, uh, or the Jays and the Rays can make it a battle. And I, I would tend to think that's the way it's going to be. You know, the Yankees aren't going to be uh, untested in this division, I don't think. At some point, one of those two teams, if not both, will come at them. And then obviously there are the Astros who are just, uh, you know, kind of rolling along. You know, it doesn't matter if Correa leaves. It doesn't matter uh, what the what the roster looks like. Uh, Dusty Baker has them firing all, all cylinders. Um, there, you know, Justin Verlander came back off Tommy John surgery, and you know, speaking of Cortez as the potential starting uh, pitcher in the All Star game, you know, Verlander can make just as much a claim to that, if not more, at this point. Uh, and to have that kind of arm with that kind of pedigree in the rotation uh, makes the Astros even more dangerous, potentially than they were last year, even without Carlos Correa. Let me ask you this, Dan, just from an opinion point of view. Uh, the Astros, the cheating scandal and, and all of that, is that is that yesterday's news or is it still on the on the minds of some people in baseball? Uh, it's on the minds of uh, people in baseball. Uh, but, you know, the Yankees generally don't really uh, address it. You know, most of the guys, most of the guys are gone from the, from that 2017 team. And, you know, 2019, we're not sure exactly what happened or if it didn't happen. Uh, certainly, if if they meet up in the playoffs, that will be a, a central issue, mm-hmm. uh, despite the fact that Hinch, you know, is, is no longer there. Uh, but Altuve is, um, uh, you know, Verlander is. So it'll always be a stain on that 2017 team. And as long as there are some remnants of that team in Houston and some remnants of that 2017 uh, Yankee team in the Bronx, whether that's Aaron Judge uh, or Kyle Higashioka, it, you know, it'll be an issue. Um, but should they meet in the playoffs? I mean, the fans will be more into that that storyline, I think, than the players because, you know, the, the, the league has taken a lot of steps to make sure that kind of thing doesn't happen again. So... Uh, you know, I don't see how it would be relevant, but it certainly would add to the drama and uh, the intensity surrounding that series uh, if it comes to that in October. Dan Martin of the New York Post. L- let me ask you, uh, I-, I had Susan Waldman on yesterday, who's been broadcasting Yankee baseball for a very long time. And Susan and I go way back. I mean, way back. <laughs> I can't even <laughs> believe, I can't believe it's that far. But I asked her yesterday. Who do you think won the trade between the Yankees and Minnesota? The Sanchez, Donaldson, et cetera, et cetera. She said without hesitation, the Yankees won the trade. Do you agree? Uh, no, I think it's too early to tell. Um, you know, Sanchez has come on a little bit in Minnesota. Uh, Urshela's played pretty well. The Twins are playing well. Uh, so how much of a product of the trade is not having Josh Donaldson there. I mean, there's, you know, that he, he's been productive on the field, but obviously, you know, a handful off of the field with his Tim Anderson comment about Jackie Robinson. Uh, it hasn't slowed the Yankees down at all, um, but we, we just don't know uh, what the ramifications of that will be throughout the rest of the year. I'm not sure it's a settled issue completely, certainly with the White Sox. And, uh, you know, he's he's owed $25 million this year and next. So that impacts what they can do uh, with the rest of their roster. Um, 
So I would say, you know, the Yankees are pleased with their, um, with what, with what they got so far. Uh, but I mean, kind of for Leffa, frankly, you know, it doesn't look very good right now. Um, and it, you know, it's just a stopgap until either Peraza or Volpe or someone else comes up to play shortstop. And we don't know uh, if we'll ever see Ben Rourke bet. So yeah, I, I, I say it's way too early to, to say who won or lost that trade, but it's still up for debate. Um, Andrew Harris asked for a trade, and, and Sanchez backed him. Uh, is uh, is Andrew Harris in a position of strength or weakness? Uh, well, complete weakness. He has no no leverage whatsoever, and I think he knows that. And he reported to AAA after they sent him down. He's entitled to, to make the request and have his opinion, and it's understandable to a certain extent because he's seeing you know, Hicks and Gallo struggle in the outfield, but frankly, he struggled as well. Mm-hmm. He's gotten a tough deal. There's no doubt, you know, he comes on to the scene kind of out of nowhere and hits 27 home runs, uh, plays third base better than people expected, and then gets that shoulder injury, and it's just not been the same since. Has done what the Yankees wanted him to do, trying to learn left field, uh, and done a serviceable job with that. So uh, credit to him for, for that, and credit, you know, it's understandable. Like, you know, He's he's a guy who's I don't know twenty six twenty seven years old now like he's he wants to get his career going so uh, I, I I get it why he would be called into Aaron Boone's office and told he's being on AAA again and say you know what I want to try this somewhere else uh, but beyond that there's nothing else he can do he's uh, he's got minor league options that's very valuable to a team so he can be sent up and down and uh, and you know Gallo can't and. Hicks cannot, and, you know, Matt Carpenter, uh, you know, they're not going to just get rid of him because they want to keep Andahar. So uh, he doesn't have any leverage, but the Yankees, I'm sure, you know, wouldn't mind moving him, but right now there's not much of a market for him. So once the trade deadline approaches, uh, which is August this year, um, you know, I, I would expect his name to be in a lot of talks, whether he's back in the Bronx for, because someone gets hurt or he's still in Scranton. Uh, but he could be part of a package uh, that, that, you know, certainly a team can use him and stick him in left field or even give him another shot at third base and let him play every day. Uh, he's, a, he's an inexpensive player and might, might fit better uh, on a team like that that doesn't have sky-high expectations and, and has more of a need for a player like that. But right now there's just no room for him in the Bronx and, you know, he's kind of the odd man out. So... Uh, it's, it's a tough position to be in, especially, you know, when he's getting a little bit older. But that's, you know, that's the reality of, of the baseball world. You know, when mm-hmm. you can be sent down to the minors, they're going to do it. Uh, how long have you been covering the Yankees for the post? Uh, well, this is my second year full-time with the team. And I've been with the, with the post for over 20 years and doing baseball for about, uh, about 12. I ask you that because, look, I was born and raised in New York. I've seen players come to the Yankees and fail. I've seen players come to the Yankees and succeed. It's a tough place to play because of the bright lights, but you can understand. Like you, and I'll use Sanchez as an example. You know, he when he first came up, he looked like he was going to be the catcher forever, and it didn't work out. Uh, did he fold under the pressure of New York? I, and I'm not prepared to say that, but you can understand how tough it is to play in New York and for the Yankees in particular. Absolutely. I mean, Sanchez is one guy. I don't know if it was the pressure of New York or, 
you know, the, the catching position has changed a lot just the last few years. And, uh, you know, that seemed to, to bother him. And the Yankees tried to make him a different type of a catcher. And that impacted his hitting. You know, if they had just left him alone, who knows what would have happened. Uh, or maybe that, you know, it could just be as simple as he came up and, uh, and pitchers figured him out. And this is the player that he is. So uh, I'm not ready to give up on him. I understand why the Yankees decided to make a move, and it certainly worked out very well with how well uh, Trevino has played um, in his in his place. But uh, there are guys. I mean, certainly that that could not handle New York. Sonny Gray certainly looks like one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some talk that you know, if if they had handled him better uh, pitch wise, maybe. Maybe that would have had a, a, a different result. Maybe uh, maybe he would have had uh, found success with the Yankees because he's had it everywhere else he's gone, including in Minnesota where he is now, although he's hurt. Uh, and then Joey Gallo is the more recent um, example of this. And, you know, there were concerns about that even when they got him. He never played anywhere but Texas. Uh, and he has just not looked comfortable for, for one day as a Yankee, uh, not when he got here, uh, you know, he had a, a terrible couple of months after, after he arrived, uh, you know, Anthony Rizzo showed up from Chicago and just started hitting immediately and fit right in. Gallo has not had that, uh, a similar path whatsoever. He showed up in spring training and said the right things and said, you know, Yankee fans haven't seen the real me yet. And, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to be back to my former self, but, uh, you know, a combination of things, whether part of it is certainly not adjusting to the lights of, of, of playing in New York, something he even talked about last year when he said he wasn't used to being, uh, you know, on Sunday night baseball and loud, you know, packed uh, crowds and things like that. That was a concern. And then, uh, you know, this year and last, the defensive shifts that have overtaken the game have really impacted players like him. In fact, I don't think it's impacted anyone more than him. Um, with the four outfielders and you know, second baseman playing in short right field, you know, people say that he's hidden into a lot of bad luck because, you know, guys are, are playing him better. But that, you know, that's not so much luck. If, if you hit the ball in the same place every time and other teams figure it out, uh, then that's that's life, you know. So I don't I, like, I, I don't know what they're going to do with him. They haven't. They're not ready to give up on him yet. Um, obviously, wouldn't get much for him if they traded him. But at some point, it has to come to that. I, I would think. And um, you know, this, this might be a last ditch effort to to help him by moving him to right field, maybe getting more comfortable out there. But he's driven in ten runs all year, and you know, on six home runs. So that means he's driven in four players other than himself hmm. the whole season, which is hard to believe. And uh, yeah, it's just it's just not working out, and you know sometimes that happens. And he's you know going to be a, a free agent after this year, and you know apparently there was interest from San Diego in the off season. Uh, there's going to be a lot of activity between now and, and August, and if, if they can figure out a way to either attach him to a different trade, uh, I, you know that might be best for for both parties uh, because the numbers and the production just just are eye poppingly bad. And, uh, you know, if this team wants to win a World Series, you know, you know it's, it's funny to be harping on the negative stuff here when they have the best record of baseball right. and they're, you know, on pace to win 100 and whatever games. But, you know, they want to win a World Series, and it's hard to imagine them winning a World Series with 
a lack of production from certain parts of the lineup like they have now. Dan, appreciate your insight. Thanks for your time. We'll do it again. You, you stay safe. Thanks. Very good. I appreciate it. He is Dan Martin of the New York Post, a guy that um, uh, covers a team that's interesting to watch. They're great pitching staff. They're hitting the ball. They're playing great. They lose a game and the world comes to an end <laughs> after they won seven in a row. But, you know. Guess who's ours? There he is, Mr. Cedric Cornbread Maxwell. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine, sir. How are you doing? I can't complain. Nobody cares, you know. Okay. <laughs> hey, come on. When somebody says to you, how you doing, do you think they really care? Well, I, I, I care, but I'm not going to do anything about it. <laughs> well, I caught your act last night, you and Sean, on the broadcast. Uh, it's It's interesting for the third straight game. Uh, the Celtics have had problems in the third quarter. Uh, game one, they they came back. Game two, obviously, they did not. Game three last night, they did. Uh, I mean, here here's a, a squad that, uh, the, and I'll just give you just an outsider's opinion. They played with fire last night, particularly in the fourth quarter, offensively and defensively. Yeah, yeah. And, and it all started, I think, with Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown seemed to be the catalyst last night. He was uh, very, very demonstrative on both ends of the floor. Blocked a couple of shots, rebounded the ball well, came out and scored early, and was as aggressive as I've seen him play since he's gotten this league. Well, after leading 68-56 to 56 at halftime, Warriors outscore Boston by eight in the third quarter and then cut the lead to as little as two at one point in the fourth quarter. But as you mentioned, Jalen Brown was a big deal. Um, obviously, Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart uh, hit some critical threes down the stretch. Uh, I looked at the at the, uh, the, uh, the intensity, as I mentioned before, from the Celtics. And I think in a negative way for them, but I think Draymond Green has helped the Celtics. Well, I, you know what? Here's the thing about Draymond Green. He's a, a, a very good disruptor. Yep. And he's not really going to score the ball. He's a facilitator. He plays a completely different role for them. Uh, yeah, has the antics kind of gotten to Brown? I think it did. I remember him stepping out on the floor the first time and knocking down the shot against Green and, and just kind of getting up and, you know, just, hey, staring at him. So I, I believe that the Celtics were, you know, they did feed off of what he gave them. And you know, anytime you have a guy kind of going the way Draymond Green is going, the other team has the opportunity to feed off that. It's a good thing. Well, for a guy who talks as much as he does, before fouling out, he had two points, four rebounds, two turnovers, and he just never shuts up. If he's your teammate, do you go over to him and say, you know what? You need to back off a little bit. Or are you okay with it? You know what? It, the, that's what they beat off of. You think of that last the game that they won? He mucked that game up. He mucked it up personally. And without him, I don't think they would have been that good. If he didn't muck that game up, he was a guy who attacked the rim. He was very aggressive on the defensive end. And he gets, the, he gets their crowd going. So for, for them... They're used to that, uh, so so they sometimes fuel off of that. Well, Steve Kerr and Green accuse the Celtic crowd 
of using abusive language at them. I mean, come on. Are you resorting to listening to what the crowd is saying? And that stuff happens all over the league. Well, my, my feeling about that is I do feel the Celtics crowd was wrong. Okay. Uh, because I just think that you cannot be in – I think the Celtics fans have always been so creative in their chants. But the F.U. Draymond doesn't have a place for it in an arena like that, mm-hmm. considering the fact that you have a bunch of young kids in there. Uh, you know, if it was just adults in there, that mm, might be okay. But when you have young kids in the building uh, for the games, I, I really don't like the look that gives your organization. Uh, he is Cedric Cornbread Maxwell on the radio broadcast with Sean Grandy, Celtics Radio. Steph Curry had 31, got uh, nicked up a little bit late. Clay Thompson with 25. Uh, the two of them uh, combined to knock down a, a bunch of threes. But in the fourth quarter, they were nowhere to be found. They combined to go one for seven and a couple of turn, uh, four turnovers, I believe. And then uh, Curry goes down. I want to back up again about Draymond Green. I watch the game and I look at things because, uh, you know, I'm not caught in the game. I'm just watching it. And strictly as an observer, I mean, what's the fine line between a physical player and a dirty player? That's that's really tough to say. I think when sometimes when you're at the point where you're so out of control that you might hurt somebody or end somebody's career, that to me is a a dirty player. Um, Aggressive getting up, fouling the guy, pushing him, that's a whole nother matter. And as I said before, I think that during the 80s, and I'll say it again like I said to anybody, during the 80s, all that was taken care of. You know, if you want to be that aggressive, if you want to play that way, then you always had a guy out there willing and able to go the distance, toe-to-toe, if you want to be physical and take you out of a game. A couple of years ago, you mentioned uh, you were really high on Robert Williams. Watching him play last night just brought that thought to mind. Ten rebounds, four block shots, three steals, excellent defense. Uh, he has been a difference maker. Oh, yeah. That, if you think about Rob Williams, who he is, he is a guy who's going to you know, control the initial point of attack. Uh, you know, Well, not the initial point, but once you break the plane, he's there to block shots. And he's an intimidator. A lot of the shots that uh, Golden State were taking in the paint, they were gator arming it, almost flinging it up there so they could get uh, Rob Williams not to block it. So I I like what he's doing. I like his posture on the offensive end. And one thing he said, we interviewed him last night on the radio uh, after the game. He was uh, that the uh, game, it was a after-game uh, guest. And one thing he said was, you know, he said, I surprised myself with the way I got up a couple of times in that game. And that tells me that his knee is starting to feel better. The thing about the injury is when you think about the injury and then you you play to that injury and, oh, it might hurt. But when you just get out automatically, do something, that's just, that tells me you're getting healthier. All right. Now, Curry gets shaken up a little last night. He's had issues with his ankle. We get that. But uh, yeah, I, I can't he, – look, I can't expect that he's not going to go. He's going to go. Uh, but he's now he's a wounded warrior. And those guys are dangerous. Celtics now at home have a chance to go up three games to one. They might feel like there's blood in the water and we better make the most of game on our floor to open up a 3-1 lead. 
That really is true, but you know the most dangerous animals out there is the wounded animal. Yep. As I say a lot of times, if you, you, you wound a bear, you better go find it but kill it because he's going to come back and try to get some revenge or he's going to be so hostile that, you know, he's going to take some take you or somebody else out. Um, Draymond, Draymond Green is everybody at this time of the year, though, how it is hurt. So if Steph Curry talks about his ankle being tweaked or whatever it is, you really don't do that, and you just get out and play the game the way it is. The Celtics definitely have a chance to get a stranglehold on this uh, series by winning another game. So, you know, it's all hands on deck right now. You're two games away from winning the world championship. Hey, Mac, you've been associated with this league for a long time as a player, now as a broadcaster. Uh, I, I The one thing that I know that I can realize about Green is that he, he is a distractor. And what he can do is take you away from thinking about your game and spend more time thinking about him. I kind of liken that to either Dennis Rodman or Bill Lambeer. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think that both those guys you talk about were those kind of guys who were, you know, who were instigators, who got up in your face, who made it tough for you, got in your head mentally. Uh, Rodman was more got in your head mentally and got in your job physically because he was so strong, he anticipated so well that a lot of times defensively he could guard guards who were ones or he can go up to guard centers. Uh, ben Wallace is of the world. Shaquille O'Neal's of the world. Uh, Dennis Rodman was that good. Let me add, you, talk, you said something to me a long time ago uh, about talking about you know people that try to get under your skin from the opposing bench. Didn't you tell me a story about you and the Lakers and Pat Riley? Yeah, I just talked to Pat Riley uh, during the Lakers-Celtics series. And um, I saw him um, in the hallway. At first, the first person that popped out actually was Alonzo Mourning. And I you know, spoke to Zoe, and, and then Pat pokes out his head, and he comes out. And I reached to shake his hand, and he sees me, and he pulls away. <laughs> and I, we both just start laughing. And um, I tell him the story about, yeah, Pat, one of my best stories ever, where we were playing the Lakers. You were the head coach. I'm standing beside you. Ball goes out of bounds. The referees give me the ball, and I got three or four guys on the, the Laker bench heckling me. <laughs> and I said, the, the referees are great. Give me the ball. And I said, hold on a minute. And he looks at me crazy. And I said, Pat, do me a favor. Put one of them dudes down there on the bench in the game. And he says, you, Spriggs, go in. And I just laughed, and me and Pat laughed about that, and I scored on Spriggs and sent him back to the bench. And Pat Riley, his recollection was, yeah, I know Spriggs gave you work. I'm like, yeah, all right. So, <laughs> so even now, you know, it's a, it's a little tie-to-tot right now when it comes to some of those guys who are with the Lakers. How would you evaluate the officiating in the league regular season versus the playoffs? Has it been consistent? For the most part, I think that, you know, they let you play a little bit more, a little bit more physicality during the playoffs. But, you know, for the most part, I'd say they've been consistent. You know, if you're – only thing I hate when you you, know, you foul a guy around the rim and he shoots a jump shot and he, you know, it doesn't go in and you have bumped him, now the officials go, okay, that was a foul. No, it was a foul before. It can't be a foul after the play. So, But for the most part, I think they've been really consistent. 
Always great talking to you, my friend. You stay safe. All right, bud. Take it easy. He is Cedric Maxwell, broadcaster for the Celtics Radio with Sean Grandy and my former partner with the Celtics back during the glorious Rick Pitino era. Actually, you know, there's a lot of good things, too, I got to tell you. I mean, their first game at home against Michael and the Chicago Bulls, and they beat him. That was a highlight, but, you know, things kind of went downhill a little bit after that. Look, I think Patino's a good coach. There's no question about it. But I think he's a great coach in college. And now he's at Iona. He'll do a good job there. Uh, I, I still think he's got a major college idea in the back of his head. I mean, he's a guy who won a championship. Okay? I mean, you can't deny that. Now, in the NBA, it didn't work out for him. But by the same token, the guy is, he's a street guy. And that's what I like about him. That you can't pull the wool over this guy's eyes. He's too smart. You folks have a great day. Thanks for being a part of Howard David Live. And you stay safe. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.